welcome to the 73rd episode of Every Dirty Tunnel. It's been quite a while. I think our last episode came out in January and ever since we've all been quite... Actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking the full blame. I've been super, super busy. Uh, but tonight we got our next episode and we got three special, special guests. So first of all, we have Calum Whitefaces Smith. Hello, everyone. I'm back again. We have Francis, the FGC fighting game community Coop. Actually, Francis, I never asked you, do, do you pronounce your last name Cooper or Cooper or? Uh, yeah, it's, it's Cooper, but obviously doesn't look like that. So, but yeah. Hi, everyone. And our third guest for the night, we have Marcus Trakas Ewald from Sweden. Hello, everyone. It's been a while since I've talked to you. I think the last time we talked, you smashed my face in with Baneslayer Angel and Legacy. But actually, no, we, we met a couple of times afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. That sounds I mean, sweet. I haven't played in a while, though, but let's change that in the near future. Yeah, we should. If you're wondering why have I invited these special specimens of legacy players, uh, we we had quite a lot of things happening ever since I, well, I went off to sell Kenya to the world. What's the, the new hotness in legacy right now, Kalem? Um, you, you, I heard about this card, that, which is like super, super powerful. Yeah, so they made this, uh, you know, the old card, Yorgmoth's Will, that's kind of banned in Legacy and it's restricted in Vintage. So they made it better and it's legal in this format. So it costs a mana less and you can cast your spells over and over again. So it's called Underworld Breach. So uh, that's the rage of the town in Legacy right now. That doesn't make any sense. How is that even legal? I, I think it was a mistake. It was meant to be like five mana to cast and... <laughs> who knows what they're thinking really so yeah that's 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 what's been taking the format by by storm like it it started off as like you know a lot of people weren't sure what's going to happen with it like it, it looks busted it looks like it's crazy but there was some skepticism and stuff like you need a lot of parts to make the combo work but then people realized that it's just it's so cheap you can play it so easily it's like you don't need anything to make it work really everything just comes together and feeds into each other so. Oh, is that why Anorak is playing it? No. <laughs> no. Shoutouts to Anorak of the Elo Pontas podcast. Uh, we, we got some content of theirs later on that we're going to talk about. But first of all, I want to say I invited you, Caleb and Marcus, because you actually played the stack in the most recent, what's it called? Preliminary Legacy Showcase Challenge, random Close assortment enough. of nouns. Lots of, lots of nouns. Uh, it's the Showcase Challenge. So to just explain it quickly, there's a, there's a Showcase Challenge every month. And the top eight qualifies for a showcase qualifier, which is every quarter. And then the top two, the top player, the top two players of that get uh, pro tour qualifications, and the top one gets an invite to the showcase something at the end, which has a very very big uh, prize pool. It's like kind of like the mocks, new mocks. There's like a seventy five k prize pool or something. So it's, it's, there's stuff to play for. But it's basically it's it's like a challenge, but you can only enter with 40 QPs, which are qualifier points, and you can only get them in prelims or like very few in league. So it's the competition was pretty tough. Like there's a lot of non-legacy specialist grinders as well, so a lot of good players. So it's it's a good opportunity to kind of like you know, just play against some of the best players online. And Marcus. <laughs> And Marcus, yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, I I wasn't even 100% sure I could make this one. We were talking about when we can record this and we're thinking about Sunday. And I, I said to you, I'll, I'll just scrub out and then we can record on Sunday. But I didn't do very well at that, actually. Because yeah, unfortunately, you ended up winning the entire thing, right? Indeed, yeah. Again, I wasn't even sure what was going to play until like in the morning. I messaged Marcus saying, Marcus, send me a list. And uh, he very kindly didn't send me Merfolk, as he threatened to do again if I beat him in the finals next time. 
So. <laughs> awesome. So we got you two in here because you two actually made it all the way to the finals of this. Uh, it's quite prestigious, right? As, a, as an event, it's one of the most prestigious legacy events we have online right now. But why did we actually invite Francis? No, seriously. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea. An awesome guy. He is actually an heir to the House of Lords in, in the UK, right, Francis? Is, is that why you're on tonight? Uh, yeah, that's exactly why I'm on tonight. Yeah. I I just thought that was a relevant thing to talk to legacy players about. So awesome! No, seriously. Um, what have you been up to? I, I, I guess I should have prefaced this. I'm in horrible host, by the way. Um, Caleb and and Francis are both from the United. Fuck! I keep saying the United, United States Kingdom. I keep messing it up. I, I I should be running for president in the U.S. Did you hear the thing that Biden said about like all men and are created? You know, you know the thing. I like that. I didn't hear that. Like but... he he's really got away with words. Anyway, wow. not to get too political, um, Francis, you've been around for a while too. Have have you touched on uh, on Breach, or have you tried other crazy stuff? So I've played against it a fair bit online, but I've not actually tried playing it just yet. I I don't know. Callum will talk about this maybe, but I'm quite stubborn about what I tend to play, and I'm much less. I switch between decks far less often, so I don't own Lion's Eye Diamonds, which you know is a bit of a barrier, I suppose. Yeah, he only plays control. Whoa! <laughs> well, actually, I've known all three of you guys to be miracle guys, like Marcus, Callum, Francis. You all played miracles when Top was still around. Yeah, for a I long time. That's how we we well, me and Francis know each other from London. That's how yeah. I met Marcus, really, and same as Francis, how we met Marcus. Yeah, I think a lot of the conversations that we've had online are to do with miracles, like both pre and post Top banning. Yeah, we we spent like eight hours discussing that third Tundra versus the tenth Fetch, and here we are again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wilson, Wilson complaining at us, saying, oh, can we stop talking about two Tundras versus three Tundras? It's like, no, we're going to talk about this for another whole day. <laughs> what about yeah. the third or the second Creolene? It's, it's a big decision. You know? I'm glad you guys can laugh about that. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I, I quickly, I quickly want to like touch a little bit on um, why everything has been so delayed in February and why we actually didn't get any, any of these podcast episodes and also like i think i didn't really stream at all in january in uh, february part of that is uh, me traveling because i went to a couple of trade fairs kenya has been booming like crazy we've i guess i'm, I'm free to say that we, we've had record years uh back to back basically in 2018 and 19 and now in 2020 uh we've unfortunately i guess the the, the proper way to phrase it at least our official way to phrase it is We've been the victim of a land-grabbing operation, but it's actually much more than that. So if you don't know, I, I guess if this is your first podcast or you don't know me, I work for a company who runs a hotel in Kenya, a beach resort, and also does safaris. And unfortunately, in February, somebody came in and basically stole our hotel, which isn't ideal, uh, as you can probably tell. How does that work? Like, you say illegal land-grabbing, but then, like, do they not just get kicked off? Yeah, you, you would think so, right? Yeah. I do find it quite surprising. Like, it seems just, it's completely alien, right? To, like, I don't know, we all live in Europe. If somebody was just like, no, I now own this hotel, it would, it, I just can't imagine that happening. So this sounds really crazy. Yeah, it was just as crazy to me. Like, at, at five in the morning, I get a WhatsApp from, from my friend who's managing the hotel down there. And he's like, Julian, please don't freak out. Which, like, by the way, why? Like, am I known to freak out? That actually made me very much more than the rest of the text. <laughs> That's the worst thing you can start with. Don't freak out. But this is yeah, exactly. Freak out. Like, the guy came in with sixty armed forces and took over the hotel. And like, like I said, it's like a long Jesus. thing, and it's still ongoing. So I don't want to say too much about it. But basically, 
there, there's an obscure yeah. ruling from 2015 against my boss. But then the ruling was overruled by the higher court, which was like, by the way, low court, you're just corrupt as fuck. And what the fuck are you doing? Like, the German is supposed to have the hotel, not this other guy. And yeah, so this is where we are. And then the guy came to collect on the 2015 ruling, even though it was like overruled in 2018 and 19. And even like right before he came, like on the very same day he came, it was overruled again on like on a different court. I, I, like I don't even know how, how a court case like this can be on court for 10 years. This sounds so messy, like messy legally or illegally. And then also when you have armed forces as well. Like, yeah, well they they were like dangerous. policemen, but now it's like policemen facing off against policemen at the gate because nobody knows what, what's actually supposed to be enforced. And like the local guys from from Watamu, which is like the next village, they're actually protesting in front of the hotel. They're raising banners. They're like, "Hey, give back the hotel, get out!" And like, probably much worse stuff that I can't read because I don't speak Swahili. I saw you post some pictures <laughs> of that. Like, you should put, put them in the show notes. They were pretty interesting. Well, I, like, I guess I can like put one of the videos trip. in the show notes. It's it's kind of hard to to link yeah. the articles because the articles like at best get like 70% right and then you stitch it together and I, I think Francis read a couple of those articles and he was like utterly confused about everything. Yeah, I read like two or three of them and they all seem to contradict themselves during the articles. I was like, okay, this um, that makes sense. So nobody, it's like seems very clear that the press don't really know what they want to say and all of the pictures are groups of people who are just really angry at each other. <laughs> The person who seems to have taken it over seems to be like a previous employee or something. And then people are sort of shouting at the cameras saying like, he was a kitchen boy and how can he own the hotel? And it's like, it's quite dramatic for sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that pretty much sums it up. And that's also why where a lot of the confusion is coming from because nobody knows why he would even be supposed to be the owner of the hotel. But yeah, that that's what's going on. Uh, I've been busy relocating our guests to different hotels. And just today we got another um, bomb dropped on us. And that's that Northern Italians actually can't come into the hotel, uh, come, come, can't come into Kenya in the first place, which has led a lot of hotels on the coast to actually shut down temporarily. So I had to remove the guests again. So yeah, quite busy. And I'm super, super happy to be here to talk to you guys about legacy because only recently, like only basically this week, I, I got to start to grind a little bit of Magic Online again, and I'm having a lot of fun. And the idea of this episode basically is we want to catch up on the current state of Legacy, both for the listeners, as well to a somewhat, uh, also to me, I want to say, like, I, I think I've got a, an okay take on what's going on in Legacy metagame right now, but you guys are much deeper into it. And that's basically the idea to catch us all up to speed. And in the second part, we want to talk about an amazing format that especially you guys in London have been promoting le uh, lately, and that's pre Innistrad Legacy, and that's going to be in the second part of this cast. Sounds good. What have you been playing in Legacy? Uh, I've played Bond Maverick. Like I, I played a couple of leagues with Maverick, and I felt like I was just missing some punch. I wanted to be a little bit more unfair without dropping my my aggressive um, stance on, on basically the way Maverick is supposed to be played. And then I found some Bond Maverick list. I changed it a little bit, and I, I found quite a lot of success with it. And that's just... I'm going to link it in show notes. It's just a ton of fun. It's basically Maverick just splashing blue for three Okos, and that's just a really, really big thing. Like, getting down the turn two Oko, I'm actually playing nine accelerators in the first turn, and if you can land the turn two Oko, especially on a blade that's against fair decks or even, like, unfair decks like Miracles or stuff, like, it's it's crazy. I was going to ask if Oko counts as unfair or fair. <laughs> Oko is fair, but it's not always fair being fair. Mm. Uh, I guess I want to put it like that. I think that really speaks to the power of the card, right? You're, you're splashing an entire color. I guess it's easier when you have things like Noble Hierarch, but 
like basically just to play this three drop it's kind of crazy i played against um somebody else playing Band maverick today and they had teferi and i think they also had euro in their deck have you tried either of those cards oh the titan of something uh I, I, oh you played against um you played against fuck i'm I'm, I'm, I'm blanking out on the pronunciation yeah. of of du- duck I, I call him duck dukes that nobody yeah. really knows. I think he knows. You should ask him. Uh, he does a yeah. lot for the Australian legacy community, by the way. And he played Uro, Titan of something, and also Teferi. And to me, that like the, the Teferi thing is just a little bit too much to me. That, to me, basically turns it into Barn midrange and totally drops the aggressive aspect of it. But the Uro, I can see, but primarily because it's like a nice draw engine with Caracas. So maybe that's where you could be, but... Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not fully sold on it. I think I, I agree. Like, Uro sort of made sense as, like, I don't know how many he was playing, but you, being able to green suns for it, like, as a recursive threat that uses your graveyard, that seems quite quite powerful. And you, you have life game, which is obviously great in lots of matchups. But Teferi felt like I was playing, like, a blue deck with, like, days. I was playing, like, a blue-red Phoenix Delva deck. Um, so you'd think that the static would be really good against me, but because, like, he wasn't really using the stack, it just, it wasn't like he was removing an advantage from me that he also had access to. It was just neither of us got to have it, so <laughs> it didn't didn't really matter. There was a point where he did play Green Sun Zenith at instant speed to get a scavenging goose, which is quite cool. Okay, but, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I generally agree. I think Oko and Uro are, like, pretty powerful. Yeah, Uru is a one-off in his Green Sun decks is fantastic. Like, just as this bullet for this card that goes over the top of, like, Delver especially, they just... I mean, Maverick doesn't really, like, feed the graveyard enough to consistently play it, like, multiple times, but uh, the card is super powerful. It's slow, but it's it's high effect. Like, the just playing it once, you're drawing a card and ramping, and the life is not irrelevant. I think Miracles players woke up to it not that long ago when Oko started being good. Gaining life is really strong because you, you <laughs> then don't die, to point out the obvious. And uh, yeah, the, when you don't die, you can cast more spells. And if you cast more spells, you have a higher chance of winning the game. So the life lane really, really adds up. So this is where we are in 2020. People talk about power creep and complain <laughs> about it. And and here we are like, oh, life gain is really strong in Legacy right now. <laughs> Marcus, would you play Uro? Yeah, healing salve is still leaveable. <laughs> I've never heard of either Oko or Uro. Like, what's that? Uro. It's not Mono Blue. I, I don't oh. understand. <laughs> Mono Blue Breach. You, you heard can it play here them first. in a Gray Spiral High Tide. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Bre- Breach is super powerful, but honestly, up until Breach was uh, streamed by Anurag, I didn't really pay attention to the real metagame. I've just been playing my pet deck. Miracles turned into this mid range deck, and I'm not really interested in playing that, although it's, I mean, it's fun and good for some people, but. I think I agree with that. Like Miracles changed to being this four color soup variant of what it was. And I as a person who really loved playing it for several years, like I my enjoyment of the deck has gone down significantly and I actually haven't played it in quite some time now. So what's actually the the real hotness right now? Um what are before we look at the numbers, because we have two like super interesting statistics. According to you guys, uh, what are the most powerful decks in Legacy right now? I would think there's Breach, but then there's probably some more. I think Breach is probably like tier zero at this point, or it definitely feels like it. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. And I think um, it's so new, so people have not really, like, it's so level, you know, they bring something and Breach adapts and back and forth. And right now, there are these new fancy Esper decks with 
the usual Delver package, but also a lot of hate cards you haven't seen before in Delver decks, so it will take some time to adjust. And I'm not really sure if they are able to adjust fully or if Breach is just too good, but from what I've played this last week, I think it's too good, but I don't really know. I'm I'm still like on, on the let it play out kind of train. Like I've been i I've been joking around here and there, like yeah, I'll be banned, blah blah. Like the deck is insanely powerful, but I think there's there's a lot of like multiple little tiny things being at play here. One of them is Veil of Summer being legal. I think while the deck doesn't self play Veil of Summer, if like just I don't want to get too deep into bad talks, it's not on our agenda, but like if Veil of Summer was removed from the format, which there I think there's a chance of it in the future. Then, like, Thoughtseize and Hymn to Turek are kind of soft on band, and those cards are very good against Breach because Breach is utilizing something like Silence Effects, which I think are very, very bad against Discard because they are relying on being able to set up and sculpt a hand so you can go off like that. So, I don't know. And, like, as Marcus said, we are seeing Delver decks start to adapt slowly. When people adapt, they'll probably get quite good against Breach, and then Breach will adapt again. And, I mean, Breach is still was, came out a month ago, so I don't know. I, the deck feels. It felt way ahead for me on Sunday. Like my loss was to um, to Omni Show. Uh, Jax, shout out to Jax. The rest of the day, I got two and a half leagues in, but with the deck before playing in the challenge, uh, not including like messing around with the card when it first came online and stuff. And it, it felt very ahead, even though there's a target on the deck. Um, I think the full pivot of the mentor cyborg plan wasn't on people's radars enough, even if they have like Plague Engineer or abrupt decays in their sideboard or in their main deck after sideboarding, I was able to very easily just, like, source the power shares, the leg engineer, or, like, play around the decay by baiting it and stuff. I, I mean, or you can just, like, play a mentor, play another mentor, sevens reclamation back two mentors. Like, I, di I didn't feel like, even though people were trying to gun for it, they weren't, like, on... They weren't in tune with what beats it yet. So we'll, we'll start to see that soon. So I think we need to let it play out, basically. Yeah, I don't think it should be... I, saying it's tier zero doesn't mean I think it should be banned. I think I agree with you. Like, giving it more time is probably okay, but definitely keeping an eye on it. Um, so is there anything... Like, I'm trying to get out of you to to hear which other decks you think are well-positioned right now, but it's actually what? surprisingly hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, anything with Karn is quite good against Breach. Yes. So that's one thing. There's this, this is eternal, like, kind of... I've been trying to build Karn decks to the side because... I'm a bit of a brewer. I don't like playing the best deck too often. Um, but I've been trying to work out the deck that beats Breach the most. I've been playing like Bug Chalice decks to pretty good success against them. But the problem is every time you can talk to Bre beat Breach or like other combo decks, you have to sacrifice things somewhere. And uh, a friend of mine messaged me a day or two ago called Nicholas Krull. You probably know him. He said he's playing an Esper Delver deck and he's has a fantastic record against Breach. Like Esper has access to some uh, fantastic hate cards. I don't, and like Deafening Silence, Quick Clock from Delver, like Stoneforge Mystic can beat Mentor. So like it has a really, really good chance of beating it. But he says he cannot for the life of him beat Breach while maintaining beating Oko plus Uro, like blue-green X decks. So I think it's not just that Breach is like so powerful in the metagame. It's it's the fact that it's being squeezed by the really strong, I think it's the four-color loam decks, the no-red loam. Uh, very good right now as well. <laughs> Hey, Kalim is back. You were going to tell us about the, the, the awesome Esper deck that Niklas is playing. And I think Niklas has been playing and promoting Esper Delva for almost a couple of years, I want to say. And maybe it's the time for Esper Delva to shine. You already mentioned it earlier. I really think so. I think I don't know if it's specifically Delva, but 
Esper is, has notoriously always been very good against combo because you have hate permanence, like especially now you have Deafening Silence is very strong. You have Discard, which like, and you have the counter magic obviously from blue. So this is the, the trifecta, the three pronged attack, which is so good against combo. Like hate permanence, you have Medley Mage or Lavinia as well, maybe. Like all these kind of things that, so I think Delver can, like, Esper Delver or Esper Stoneblade or something. And uh, importantly, Stoneforge Mystic can beat um, Monastery Mentor. So this color combination is really strong against Delver, but he said he's really struggling with the blue-green X decks, like he can't beat Oko plus Uro. So he's trying to find a way to beat that. So this is the kind of extra problem with Breach. It's being squeezed by these four-color loam Oko decks, and they they really prey on fair decks generally and Delver already, so it's hard to find all the space for beating both these kind of, I'd say, pillars of the format at this point now. As well. I feel somewhat reminded of the times when Omnitile was a deck because I felt like we were in the same pickle with, with most decks that I enjoyed at the time. It was like, okay, you can play like four Crozen Grip and then some more stuff to even stand a chance against these Omni deck Omni decks, but then half your sideboard is going to be useless against like 70% of the, of the meta game. And we keep running into these situations in Legacy time and again uh, over the last couple of years, which is Somewhat annoying. Like I, I'm, I also want to say, like I haven't even played more than ten or twenty matches against Breach on Magic Online, so I'm, I'm not ready to make any kind of call on, on the card, and I don't really want to like get into too much of ban talk. I mean, we already signed up to Breach weeks, anyways, that are happening on every podcast right now. I guess after, after we already skipped Cyrus Wins GP Atlanta weeks because there was just like too much of the same content. I would guess. I mean, it, it, it is the talk of the town, right? It's, I think it's important to kind of cover it if you're going to be like a serious legacy podcast, I guess, because we are trying to work. I think even myself now, I'm even though I've played it and I, I won the challenge on Sunday, blah, blah, like it's, I'm still not 100% sure how to attack it. Like I'm recommending Esper, but I'm not, I I don't know exactly what cards and what combination of cards yet. Uh, I think, as I said, I had success with some uh, bug, like Oko deck, because Oko and Uro are so strong against fair decks. They allow you to. That's this is why I tried bug because they allow you to dedicate all the cyborg cards to breach because those those cards are so strong against fair. So it's, it's trying to find either overlap or cards that are so good against mm. the other fair decks that they they give you the space. But it's it's hard to balance everything. That's deck building is really hard at the moment. It's a great big problem, so, right, of balancing yeah. it. So one thing I want to add there. Uh, so in, Esper is interesting because normally you play red as the third color for pyroblast, but. Even though this is uh, like a very blue deck, very reminds me a lot of Miracles, actually. The the payoff spells are not blue, so Pyroblast is not really great uh, against the deck. And I think maybe people are in these old habits of like adding the third color or second color even to, to, to be red just for the blue decks, whereas it's not very good versus Breach. I think you need all the Blasts to beat Oko, really, which is... Yeah, okay, the other, that's not a part of the problem. But, but if yeah. you play Okus yourself, maybe you can splash Thoughtseize ra rather than Pyroblast, like Callum is suggesting. I think yeah, and if you have Thoughtseize, you have Decay for Oko, I guess. So why aren't we just playing some kind of mid-range control deck that plays Abrupt Decay, which solves both the Oko and the uh, Breach issue, kind of? I guess with Breach, you still get to flashback your cantrips, but other than that, they, they probably won't kill you right away. I guess it brings you back to Veil of Summer ah, being in the metagame somewhat. Yeah, so you can't... All the likes, the four-color snow decks are playing Veils, and your Decays and Thoughtseizes are just, like, terrible. 
Yeah, this, this was like kind of my point about saying if Veil left the format, I think Breach would not get significantly worse, but it would be much easier to fight it because you have cards that are good against Breach, but also good against other decks in the format. It, it's uh, it's kind of a, what's the right term? Like, not a, It's like almost a hostage situation. Or it, it's not really that. It's just you have not enough space and not enough cards to do everything you want because you're being pushed. Because the power creep of everything is so high. Like, then you, like Oko and Breach, as we keep saying, like, they just pull you in two different directions, even though they both died to Decay. I don't think it's even just Veil in the format. It's like, I don't think Decay is that great versus Breach. Like, they can, they can silence you, but, like, also a very common play pattern I have while playing Breach is you... If you're playing against a Decay deck, you make sure a second Breach is in your graveyard before you play the, play the first one out. Oh, you play it, and the first thing you do is play, play the second Breach. Okay, this is the kind of insight so, that we invited you for. It's not your charming personality <laughs> cool. or your otherwise great play skills. It's this kind of knowledge. <laughs> this, is, this is really smart, dude. Like I, I wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah, the way. there is. I, I still have a very very small number of reps. Like as I, so, I played three leagues now in the challenge, and I messed around with it when it first came out. But Marcus has a lot of reps, like Anorag oh. and Rodrigo. A lot of a lot of reps with the deck now. And watching Anorag has helped me play it. Like I'm sure I can like credit some of this success to. Sunday to Anorag, I've watched him his streams so much, but there are so much. There's so many plays to the deck. It's crazy, like just sequencing. This is why it's like miracles, really, and why the miracles players like it because it's it's the small sequencing things. You're cantripping a lot. You're working out what's important. You're t you're picking your spot to land a threat, which usually in the past it'd be a chase, but now it just it's a two mana <laughs> kill the, kill you threat. Four mana chase is like so outdated. I was I was recently talking about um, whether Chase is even a tier one Planeswalker and Legacy anymore. It, it feels yeah. like more like it's it's for the people yeah. who love the card that they still play it, but it's not really a thing anymore. Yeah, Callum and I were talking about this. I think what last night at, at the pub before our local event, and we were just both like mourning the loss of Jace whilst playing some Prehistoric. We were like, it's really nice playing this format because Jace is playable, and we just don't think it's good. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind of funny how long Chase actually took to catch on. So yeah, but before we go, or Marcus, you were about to say. Yeah, uh, so about the Abrupt Decay thing, another thing is before you expose your uh, Underworld Breach to Abrupt Decay, you play this Drago game with Predict and all, and in that game, that state, you, you don't have any targets for the Abrupt Decay, so it's just a dead card in hand. So either you brainstorm it away, and then you need it later, or you just sit there and I draw a lot of cards, and then, like Callum said, I can, I can go off with another Breach in hand, or have a silence at ready or what have you. So yeah. it's like understanding it's really oh. that it's a control deck rather than a combo deck in a lot of matchups, especially post-board. It's it's really reminiscent of the old uh, Shardless versus Miracles matchup yeah. where everyone thought Decay was good because uh, it's, it, it count, kills counterbalance and it kills like Mentor and stuff and it helps you fight things. But Predict, again, is just the the trump to Decay. It sounds weird to say, but like when you're when you're when you see your opponents leaving up two mana... You're just you're just predicting, so you're drawing two cards and you're double porting them. So, yeah, it's it's the predict again. Yeah. We've gone back to what was it three or four years ago, where it was that it's predict versus like trumping uh, decay again. Yeah, that's a very, it's a very nice way to put it. I haven't thought about it like that, but no, it, it definitely is, does. But if you haven't thought about yeah. it like that, I can recommend the new episode of Everyday Channel that's coming out today. Actually, so you should check that out, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I actually do it, but I don't know why. I, what I, why I do it? It's just <laughs> <laughs> I like to draw cards. 
end up in that spot every time. Is that why you changed your Magic Online handle? Yeah, that and also because my other account was full of decks and, and comments I could not get rid of in a meaningful way. You know way, that so. there's Shredder accounts in Magic Online? Uh, you can trade to them and they will eat your entire collection. Yeah, well, when I first started doing that, they could only take like, what, 64 cards at a time and I had about 200,000 comments or something <laughs> from drafting quite a bit. So I, I started and after an hour I stopped when I like barely touched the collection. So... I made a new account. <laughs> it's, it's, is that actually kind of crazy? Like, it's the year 2020. We are trying to turn Magic into his esports, more or less. And Marcus has to make a new account because his old account had too many cards. I, I, it's just... Yeah, and this was, there was this weird bug as well. So all my deck lists were doubled when I logged on sometimes. <laughs> so I had 50 versions of the same deck. So it was just a mess. <laughs> so it was just like 200 high tides. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, there are 200 high tides. So it was 7,000. <laughs> <laughs> I should... I, I had to do the same thing. I did I like shredded all my comments, but it took like four or five hours over two days. So it was it's not a fun thing. I, I don't. Uh, it's pretty smart to make a new account. <laughs> was it you, um, um, Caleb, who actually came up with this idea that there was some value to be had when when making a new account because they gave you certain cards for free and they were actually worth more than the ten dollars it takes to make a new account. That was uh, Max Gilmore. Oh. He pointed out that when Veil of, when Veil of Summer had just come out, it was like five or six tickets when it was legal and standard and pioneer as well so you can make a new account and you'd gain like two tickets each time or something <laughs> pretty smart smart guy that's that's how he founded uh mm -hmm. funded his new house or something no i had no idea it's all about the value <laughs> yeah the value and speaking of value uh, i want to get a little bit deeper into breach and some of the play patterns we already touched on but just for people who came into this podcast not knowing exactly what breach is supposed to do because i think it's not very obvious how the deck actually works can can you guys give us a very quick rundown of what the deck is trying to achieve beyond like the cantrips and the protection okay so like i said it's it's a control deck in disguise but it's also a combo deck especially post board it's a low resource combo deck so all you need is a underworld breach some stuff in your graveyard a lion's eye diamond and a brain freeze and with the lion's eye diamond you gain three mana uh, and you pay two mana for the brain freeze and the escape cost is paid by the brain freeze copies so to speak so once you get going you can brain freeze for free and for each time you do that you add more storm so once your whole deck or a lot of your deck is in your graveyard you have enough storm and mana to brain freeze your opponent it's a tight little package of three cards and two of those cards can be in your graveyard so if you hit the lion's eye diamond from the brain freeze you actually don't need to ponder into that combo piece so what you're saying is that can actually kill on the first turn oh yes for sure through yeah, a force of will <laughs> yeah yeah it, it has it has the nut draws where you kill turn one but it also has like a pretty common play pattern is if you have the breach in hand you kind of like you can end of your opponent's second turn if they can trip to like play the creature you just like freeze yourself for six or nine cards and then if you hit an artifact mana in that you cast the you cast the breach and you win so it's like some of the early criticisms of the deck or like um, that people didn't think it'd be good was because you need to have the brain freeze and the artifact mana and the breach. But really, like with so many cantrips, you, you find the breach and they feed into each other. And the early versions like made by Stefan Schultz, he made enlightened tutor versions, which his I asked him about it because I, I kind of hate those card disadvantage um, tutors. 
I asked him why he was building with it, and I, I never really liked it. And he had a very good answer. He said, every time I build a new deck, I try and find the most broken thing possible. And then from there, it naturally evolves. So it wasn't that the Enlightened Tutor, tutor version or his version is, is worse than Intuition. He's just starting at the highest ceiling and then going on from there. I think that version still has some merit, but now that everyone's playing mm -hmm. Brain Freeze and Predict, it's pretty bad to play Enlightened Tutor because you just target them and counter it, essentially. <laughs> That's another random upside that people start playing Doomsday. So yeah, sure, resolves, brain freeze, goodbye. So why would you guys say this deck is so successful? Obviously, it, it seems to be quite resilient, uh, but what takes this deck to the next level, to, to basically tier null, as tier zero, as Francis earlier said? It's it's the it's the control thing. Um, con combo control has notoriously always been so strong. Like you bring up Omnitel earlier, that was almost like a combo control deck. Or any or any combo deck being able to play Force of Will reliably is also super strong because you. One of the com the weaknesses of combo historically is that they don't have their own like co uh, counter magic to protect them against faster combo decks, for example. Or they can't play a longer game and set up a perfect turn as much but this one like you play 12 cantrips and predictors i don't know people are still unsure about it it performed really well for me but it the important thing is predictors not actually very good game one it's this weird thing like it's fine you can you can power through discard and counter magic with it but it's really good when you get into game two where your opponent's trying to stop you with all their hate permanence their counter magic and just going up on raw cards because the the, the texture of your deck off the board is going to be to fight whatever your opponent's trying to fight against you. And so the raw cards are going to trade with them, and you're going to come out ahead in the end. And then you have this super easy compact kill, especially when the game is going longer, you just cast your breach, and they usually die. Because you can like cast it, and you just play a few cantrips, and those cantrips will probably find the artifact mana or the brain freeze, and then you just go on from there. It's, it's The fizzle rate of just casting a breach with like three cantrips up is pretty low, actually. And then an important thing, which I only worked out halfway through on Sunday, was that Mentor is a storm card. It's not a creature. So after board, you play your Mentor, you uh, make some tokens, then you cast a Breach, and then all your tokens are lethal because you've cast like 10 spells that turn. So it's uh, that's why the pivot is so strong, because it's still working on the same kind of Breach axis. Like it's still, it's still a combo card, but you just kill in a different way that doesn't use, like, doesn't use the... Uh, same mechanics as the... It feels like a vintage basically. cube play pattern. Something that people do there, it's like, oh, Mentor's a storm card. Yeah, yeah, I got that. And then they, they play Chuckmoth yeah, World yeah. just for that. And it's basically the same thing happening here. Completely, completely. Like, again, like Sunday, I really was working out things that went along, I felt like. But you were, you Seven's Reclamation Mentors, and you like, I don't know, you just, you just it, it's such an insane card in this deck. It's, it was hard to comprehend how good it is. But you just need one or two tokens, even if it that gets replicated. Those tokens are so strong. You have so many spells to cast. You're constantly doing things. Like you can just silence them, and then you 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 make them huge. And yeah, it was pretty it was pretty crazy to like work this out while I was playing it and thinking, wow, this is so much better than I thought it was. Yeah. So uh, if you're if you're finished, Callum, I want to add to that. Uh, so you have the control aspect like you talked about, but also I want to talk more about the Delver aspect. You said for your opponent to leave up mana for Abrupt Decay, they, you would double port them every turn. And it's basically the same with the combo, because they live in fear. Not only are they down on cards, because they have hate pieces, and they need counter spells in hand and pass the turn, they're also down on mana, because they need to respect what you can do. And then you punish them with the, the predict and, and 
you had Vendillion click even, and that card is, if if you go to the long game, that will deal the eighteen twenty one damage, that is enough for the game. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. Yeah, the, the the kind of pseudo port thing cannot be understated, and they should be scared of you. That's what makes it so powerful. Like, it's not like uh, people are playing badly because they're like uh, like leaving out mana. They have to. If they don't, they die to this card. And another real big revelation while playing on Sunday was people would open with Leyline and then they play a Chalice on zero. And just in case someone doesn't know, like, so the sideboarding play patterns with this deck is you side out Lion's Eye Diamond down to one copy a lot, because uh, especially what Intuition does. As intuition lets you sideboard down on your combo pieces. So you can intuition for the breach, Seven's Reclamation, and the Brain Freeze, for example. And then whatever they give you, you're gonna get you're gonna um, actually not the brain freeze. Uh, LED. So the the LED is gonna help you flash back the Seven's Reclamation on the Breach. And then you can recast things and cast some cantrips. So the intuition like lets you basically play and you can flash back the intuition with the Breach as well, so and the LED mana. So you, you essentially intuition is your whole combo one card if you have the mana to pay for it. And if the game is going long, which they will be because you're using your removal on their hate cards, you can just you can go down to one brain freeze or two brain freeze, you can go down to one lion's eye diamond, and you can combo with Lotus Petal very easily as well. So you basically side out all your combo cards, bring in all the interaction, and then you only care about the the actual combo hate cards when you're ready to care about them. So yeah, people open with Leyline and Chalice on Zero against me multiple times. I just completely ignored them till like turn six and then comboed them when I was ready to like play a Serenity or a Fuse Wear Tear on their things, or they or Mentor just killed them by then. So that's is again, I mentioned the pivot earlier. I get like Mentor kind of completely runs over any of the graveyard hate that people are playing, but you do need to play that graveyard hate not to just get comboed. Okay, this is so it's th- this is kind one. of wild. You already explained a couple of really crazy concepts to me. Uh, the first one was that you can basically use Lotus Petal to combo off. Like, what is going on there? Is oh yeah, so Lotus Petal is actually the most common combo piece. Uh, Stefan, when he first made the deck, told me this, and I didn't realize it. I didn't understand until I played it a couple of times. Uh, like Brain Freeze just it scales super fast, right? So you do need to have a couple more cards in the graveyard than the LED. But against uh, any decks with Surgical, I almost always never combo with Lands of Diamond as well. Unless I have like a spell pierce in the graveyard that I can pierce the Surgical. Um, with it, with those Petal, you can just cast it out of blue, cast it again out of blue, and then Brain Freeze. So you need six cards in the graveyard other than the Lotus Petal. And then the Brain Freeze is counting the two Lotus Petals plus any other spells cast that turn, which is going to be the Breach. So it's going to net cards in your graveyard already. And then you just cast the pedal two more times, cast the brain freeze again, and you just go from there. So Lotus Pedal is almost like a better combo enabler against anything other than Emrakul, because it uses more cards in the graveyard and you need to lightning bolt them. I was just going to add to that with the surgical extraction you mentioned. So once what, what a lot of people don't realize is that once you play the Underworld Breach and then you brain freeze, you get a lot of stuff in the graveyard. And if you hit a counter spell <laughs> that you can cast of any sort... Before you hit whatever crucial piece they want to surgical, you can escape, even with the brain freeze triggers on the stack, if you have a, a lot of cards in, in to escape with in the graveyard. And the same goes for, for like Tormund Crypt. If, uh, if they crack the crypt, sometimes you can brain freeze uh, in response and, and go off with the brainstorm and generate some storm. So... Even, yeah. a, even a, a brainstorm counters surgical when you have reach and play. 
because you as long as you have the mana to yeah, cast yeah. it because you just brainstorm and you remove the yeah, surgical remove the target. target of course so yeah surgical is pretty poor against the deck unless you're also playing yeah, this, card, is, this, this is getting scarier every minute <laughs> yeah it's people try to surgical me in the leagues quite a lot and you just like yeah you try and like save a brainstorm in the graveyard if you're playing against a deck that could have it and so you can just exile their target it's the same as like dig through time during the omni tell days you uh yeah you counter it and you get to draw cards the second thing i was gonna ask but i guess that that already uh, you touched on that is uh, when you mentioned that sometimes on the end of the second turn you just brain freeze yourself uh, and using your opponent's um storm count from either playing a creature or cantrips or something so to me that basically is you're saying this is dark ritual with storm and the mana sticks around for just one more mana for two mana and every spell you cast has a lot of petal attached this is this is just wild yeah another way you can think of it is because of uh, what breach does is every every cantrip can be cast with three cards so every fetch land or cantrip you cast pre-breach is like 1.3 cards because uh, of the value like it's not it's not uncommon to just like if you don't have the full combo yet like you can't find a brain freeze or the artifact mana you can cast a breach and just like cantrip twice it's still plus one card and then later you just find your things like if you have multiple breaches that is it's kind of wild. So, uh, is, there, is there are there any yeah. other like really cute tricks or interactions that people might not be aware of if they haven't played against the deck or the deck a lot? Yeah, uh, there are a few with. Um, so even if your opponent has hate in play, that stops you from comboing. You can still play the underworld breach. And for example, if they have uh, two hate bears, like two uh, collectors oof. You can you can uh, source the plowshares and then play underworld breach and then source the plowshares and then you can play the lion's eye diamond and then kill them. So all of your anti-hate cards double up unless it's like uh, rest in peace or ley line you want to get rid of. Yeah, what one of my matches against four color loam on Sunday was I think they had an oof and like two knights and maybe a bob as well. Uh, so I was in my graveyard, so I got to like play. I had mentor and a token or two. I got to play the breach and then play the source flashes and all four of the creatures with the one source in the graveyard and then that was just the it's game. so wild yeah <laughs> so it's, it's just like it's it's this super unfair combo card and it kills pretty easily as we've said and then it just doubles up as post board when you pivot into this mentor deck it's it's the it's extra removal extra cantrips or card advantage or you just stumble into a, a combo kill anyway Oh. Yeah, so it, it, that's why it's that's why it's pretty like you have to respect it. Like Marcus was saying, you need to leave up mana to try and interact with it because it will win if it resolves, usually. But um, yeah, if you if you don't do that, it, like we'll start predicting and pull ahead on card advantage and just sculpt the perfect hand. Okay, that actually makes me wonder. Brings me to the very next natural question about that. Um, have people already started to adapt the deck for the mirror? The mirror is also it's kind of weirdly pre-boarded like the the best cards are the silences so orange chant and silence as well the early versions had i think like three silences main deck or orange chance main deck and then two or three more on the sideboard so this is one of the best cards because if they play a breach you just silence them in response so it's like a actual counter spell for it um so the mirrors are really interesting though it's kind of like a weird chess game where you're like positioning and moving back and forth and everything is so powerful and everything's so cheap and you have forces as well, and like it gets weird. Uh, Marcus and I's match the game one. He had a pretty poor hand, I think, against had a good hand. Yeah, again, it's totally random. 
I, the mirror is just about drawing the right cards. So yeah, yeah please it, continue. <laughs> but both, but, <laughs> but but game two we had a very 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 close game. It was really cool. But yeah, I I, I don't have the reps to really comment with uh, like complete certainty. If uh, Marcus wants to step in though. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's weird because normally I just want to like go forever and then. When my opponent makes a mistake, I want to like seize the opportunity and do something fancy like draw a card or what have you. But uh, a lot of players, if their hand is like multiple breaches and a lion side diamond, and they start jamming, and that like it's it's a show and tell deck and it's also a miracles deck at the same time. Oh my god, the worst of two worlds. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> no terminus oh, yet, yeah. Julian. So <laughs> we're getting there yes. with the unbanning of top, but. Yeah, that's for another time. Oh, Monday, uh, isn't it? Go away. They're going to unban top on Monday. It's called a yeah. banned announcement, not an unbanned announcement. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, think, I think they are definitely going to unban top on Monday. I don't. Yeah. I, I have some very good uh, inf- insider information. By the way, did you guys know that this would be the nice. very first time in history that a card would be unbanned in Legacy that had previously been banned? Like, the only cards we have seen unbanned in Legacy were ones that had been banned from the beginning of the format. From two, I think it was like December two thousand four or something, but we've never seen a card hit the bandist and come off again. It's basically this black hole. The card goes in, but it never comes out. That makes sense, actually. Yeah. Oh, I want top back. <laughs> yeah, I also want top back. I think it's three against one. <laughs> <laughs> You're with the miracles crew, Julian. You're done for. Yeah. Why did you invite so many miracles players? Did you guys know that I was like heavily involved in actually creating miracles in like 2012 and when ever since restock came out, I was like so dedicated to like making the deck and I was working on it so much on, on the on the the source thread. I even played it in the GP. I was like so excited for the deck and then it eventually became my biggest nemesis. <laughs> I do I do know that. I used to I used to read your posts on the source and stuff. Oh, you did. You're a stalker. Yeah, yeah totally. And I remember you you working on it when Schoeniger and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Philip, Philip is a great guy. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> I was <laughs> back on topic. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask: Is there is there any kind of scenario where you can sometimes like get somebody with a brain freeze when they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna carelessly brainstorm on my on my breach turn," and then in response, they they you're gonna brain freeze them and they die to their own brainstorm or something? I've not done that yet, but uh, natural milling has come up a few times. Like you, you, it has to be against like slow control decks, but you you can resolve like two, usually three brain freezes, and you can deck them. It's not uncommon. I think I've died to that more than I'd like to admit. It's like end of turn, I'll try and like snapcast a brainstorm or something, and then it's like ah, oh, I die. Ah, oh, hmm, awkward. So yeah, that's a real thing. <laughs> I had a game versus this uh, Tassos Oracle Paradigm Shift, and my opponent cast a brainstorm. And I spell pierced it, and felt good. And then I looked at their library, and they had two cards. So <laughs> <laughs> Why did you cast that brainstorm? I, need, I needed the value from my spell pierce. It was like turn ten. <laughs> they next leveled you. They got you. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, it reminds me of sometimes when I watch miracles mirrors, like the hardcore dedicated blue white miracles without Oko, and. At many times, I felt like, oh my god, if this deck had like two brain freezes, they would totally win because the other guy only has like 20 cards left and they would totally get there. But yeah, I guess that, that can oh, yeah. come up, maybe? I don't know. I mean, Arms yeah, Child is still a card. It, it comes up quite often, actually, against the Miracles deck. And not only that, but, but you can mess with their counterbalances and stuff, too. So oh, now you have my attention. It, 
Yeah, yeah so sure it, it's pretty cool. And um, elves, if they have a glimpse turn and they play elves visionary, they can they, <laughs> they can kill yeah. them. Or the food chain deck, actually, I beat that. But it was with high tide. But it, it was with the brain freeze. They played. Uh, they had to go off for a bit and then find Rex Sage for my cage, and then they played Uro. And then Storm was high enough, so I just kind of wish for Brain Freeze, and they dry, died to Uro's draw trigger. Can I say that That's Brain so Freeze cool. is a beautiful card? Like, unlike Tendrils, Tendrils is like brutal, uh, I don't know, blunt, it just kills you, but Brain Freeze does so many amazing things. I remember when I first came into yes. Legacy and I saw a guy playing Solidarity, and he Brain Freezed himself to find Flash of Insight to continue his combo. This was like one of the very first things I saw in Legacy, and that... that like now, I don't know, 15 years later, I still remember that because that was so fascinating to me. It's not like, oh, I saw this guy and he played Tenders and then the other guy died. It's like, whoa, he he targeted himself. I, I love Brain Freeze as a card. I think it's the best, the coolest Storm Spare we've ever seen. Yeah, non-deterministic kills are the best. What about Hunting keep on going. Uh, I, I played that in the Cyborg Extended deck, but that's... <laughs> actually, I only <laughs> played it because I thought it was cool. I think Hunting Pack also gets my vote. I mean, it's just so sweet. Yeah. I think Callum and I once built a mono-green Storm list. I don't know if he remembers this. Um, I, I was, roughly remember, remember was, it. It was very exciting. But hunting Pack. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this sounds... It was with a... This sounds kind of odd. <laughs> we get really bored at work, so we just make... Like a stupid decks a lot, and I think the kill was hunting pack and concordant crossroads. Yeah, that, uh, that was it. Yeah. We're going off the deep end here, don't we? This, this is how you get Brexit and how you tank the British economy. Like Caleb and Francis are sitting at work making mono green storm decks. <laughs> there was this card which is like we found that it can only it was like a one mana you sacrifice a creature and then you get mana equal to its mana cost or something. Yeah, but that but you can only use that to cast creature spells. So we were trying to like chain creatures into more mana and stuff. It was really, really bad. Like, that was a fun day. Let's get off this. This yeah. is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we can, we can talk about this. For I, ages, so. I was gonna ask you guys. Um, by the way, uh, shout outs to an actual really good storm spell, Wing Shards. Uh, we're gonna talk about this later, but when we talk about pre Innistrad Legacy, Wing Shards was a very real card in pre Innistrad Legacy. Uh, but we're gonna touch on that. Francis loves that card. <laughs> I cast Wing Shards in a Legacy League last year to kill someone's Merit Lage. It was it was, it was Jacks actually. <laughs> Shout out to Jax for dying for wing shards. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was playing like a, a blue-white singleton control deck. It was pretty sweet. Uh, shout out to JPA as well. I had a lot of fun. I got paired against him multiple times with my Vensa Caracas Vendillion click <laughs> nonsense. Uh, yeah. You guys have way too much mana. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> I didn't know we got a Jodas out on the cast. Yeah, did you guys see on Reddit that uh, the thing, the thread, where basically one person made a thread which was like, Varus Cho lost it? And <laughs> it sounded like really weird as if he was like lost and nobody had heard of him, but apparently he only plays like non-legacy formats. Or, or maybe he still plays legacy, right? Uh, the, anyway, that's that's <laughs> way too off topic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's go back to Brexit. No, seriously. Um, we... <laughs> In our show notes, I put a... Yes, we have show notes. <laughs> I put a um, topic which is like ban question mark. But I think from what I've heard, we all agree that it would be like too... I don't want to say way too early, but too early to really push for um, an underworld breach ban. It's just weird because I feel like almost everyone I talk to agrees that it will eventually be banned. Like nobody believes it's going to be around after summer. And at the same time, we also say, okay, but let's still like wait and see. Maybe you know, maybe there's a way. Maybe dry militant is gonna bring balance. 
<laughs> that's exactly how I feel. I think there's, especially as I, I mentioned like twice now, I think if Vale goes, there's a chance it's okay. But yeah, we need we need to wait. Like Renesix took what six months to be banned, and we need we need to wait for a while. Like it's been out a month. It's I think calling for a ban on one day is kind of ridiculous. And if it is, I will eat my hat, I guess. And Jax can make fun of me a lot as he does already. But yeah, I'll be I'll be amazed if it's banned on Monday or even like in the next month or two. Yeah, That's... there's a new set coming around too. So yeah, there'll be a more broken card. It's fine. Yeah, overworld breach. It's it's just uh, one black. Spells in your graveyard have you make asters for free until end of turn. You lose the game at the end of <laughs> turn or something. Yeah, <laughs> Let's, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> awesome. No, uh, so yeah, Marcus, is that how you see it as well? Um, yeah, like like I said, I, I I started playing the deck this Tuesday actually, and I played average two leagues a day plus this showcase, and I've had insane win percentage, but. And I was calling for a ban. I, I thought it was ridiculous. I, I barely knew what I was doing. And I, <laughs> That's why we have you on the cast. I was dis- disappointed with a 4-1 in my league. Like, yeah, it was insane. But now I played yesterday and I lost four in a row. So I was kind of bummed. But I also figured that maybe I can play this card more. So, yeah, we have to wait and see. Okay, that's, that's what we're going to do. Um, I am... Actually, we compiled a list, or rather Bob uh, one compiled a list here, of all the bans that have happened in Legacy and how long they actually took. I'm going to link them in the show notes because they're really, really interesting. Did you guys, would you guys know from the top of your head which card in Legacy was actually banned the fastest? Uh, Misstep? I can't no, Misstep was banned after 4.3 months. So basically like four months, let's say. Four months and a week or something. Was it like Memory Jar or something? No, Memory Jar has never been legal in Legacy. Okay, we, okay. <laughs> before we go too deep into no. this... We can guess some of the, <laughs> you guys will, the other 20,000 cards. You, you guys will be like, oh my god, of course. Because the first card that was banned is also the card that was banned the quickest. And that's Flash. Ah, okay. That makes Flash sense. was banned after like one month. And rightfully so, I want to say. And recently, like the trend for, for example, for Running 16 has been banned after like five months, like half a year. And I could see something similar happening with Breach, like maybe four, actually maybe more like four months or something. But yeah, I guess that that's speculation. Anyways, I just wanted to 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 plug this content because it looks really really cool, and I'm going to link it in the show notes. Uh, also, Top has by far had the longest run. Top has been legal in Legacy for 13 years before it was banned, and out of those 13 years, I basically wanted it banned for 10 years, and I still consider it my my. I guess you would say Magnum Opus or something to to have played a small part in, in getting the card banned and I'm still so happy for, for that to happen. But yeah. <laughs> Ooh, did, you, did you send the pizza? Did I what? Are you the are you the pizza sender? Did you send it to Seattle? Oh that that did must you? have been somebody else. That must have been somebody Oh really? Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. I, I don't know, I don't know if I believe you. That's uh, <laughs> I think that's a crime in some yeah. communities. <laughs> There are three people in this cast that did not send that pizza. <laughs> I don't know about the pizza. I only heard about the sign that somebody put up in the parking lot of, of Wizards of the Coast. I like how that actually has become a meme. I, I wonder how long it's going to take for somebody to, to come up to hate a card with such passion to produce a second sign. I'm sure they will. <laughs> like, hashtag free top. Free top. Yeah. In- hashtag Kyrian <laughs> Ranger. Yeah. In speaking of <laughs> in speaking of free top, I wanna talk about something you guys have been promoting quite heavily lately, and that's a format where top is actually legal. Crazy, crazy enough, but that's pre-Innistrad Legacy. 
can you guys tell us a little bit, first of all, about the format, what is legal in the format, and why you decided to to promote it? Okay. Um, I think, Julian, you probably had a reasonable amount of inspiration to this. We, I, I certainly had heard you talking about how much you loved playing uh, sort of before Innistrad was released. So we ran a, an event in London with all cards... Um, chronologically in a strad forward band and obviously world gorgeous dragon lantax and black vice are also banned uh with sensei's divining top and getaxian pro being legal we also decided to i think put the format in the 10 day period where mental misstep was banned but Innistrad was not legal i think that was a 10 day period um because we didn't think that bringing back mental misstep was a uh, something that people would want to do so this is the format that we ran a, an event for, I suppose. And it was a great success, I suppose. We all really enjoyed it. And how many it people did you It was some of the most fun magic I've played in years. Sorry. Uh, um, we had... We had oh, go, go ahead, Callum. <laughs> we, had, we had 13 people. So was, we uh, we have this amazing pub like near Camden in London where we were allowed to just rent the room for free. So it's pretty easy to get people together. So we had 13 for this one. But I think... We've like just like hyped it up and talked about it so much with everyone else. I'm pretty sure more people will come to the next one. And uh, yeah, honestly, it's just the most fun legacy I've played in so long. It's just so decision rich. It's like no super snowbally cards apart from Jace, but it's four mana. So whatever. Like we, I got the meta game here. What the 13 people played? So we had two people on Toglas, which is bug control. Um, two Tez, which is like they they weren't playing the old silence builds. They were playing like just Grixis. Storm. We had Zoo. We had Francis playing like Countertop Twin. We had Spiral Tide. I don't know if anyone here has heard of that deck. <laughs> uh, Never heard of it. We had uh, Bug Nick Fit. We had Natural Order Rug, Cephalid Breakfast, uh, Painter, uh, Enchantress, and Goblins. So, like, so many just cool decks. I, I, I just can't stop gushing about how much fun this thing was. So, basically, a lot of 2012 decks and one 2020 deck, right? <laughs> Is that how I... Yeah, Zoo, right? Or Goblins. You meant Goblins, I assume. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> Split the Twin? Split the Twin's 2020, right? Yeah, you should talk more about that later. No, you were using uh, Counterpunks there. <laughs> it's kind of funny to uh, see them actually play Zoo when, if you ask me, Zoo was already kind of dead back then. And nobody played Maverick, by the way. But um, before we get into the individual yeah. decks and, and the format, and I want to talk about um, the composition of the format because you guys mentioned that you were actually aiming for that very short period where mental misstep was still no where mental misstep was banned in legacy but innistrad had not yet been released because when i actually you, you guys mentioned that my musings about that format back then were like part of the inspiration which like it's really cool to hear because i really really enjoyed yeah. the format back then um it was a large part yeah the format i knew back then was actually the one where innistrad was legal but the other two, um, what's the second Dark Ascension? But most importantly, Everson Restart was not yet legal because Everson Restart is the one that actually changed Legacy quite a lot. Um, yeah, a the, big. That's the that's the Terminus and Grizzlebrand, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, a big thing that Innistrad, of course, gives you is Delva, and Delva, I want to say, did catch on rather quickly. At least if I look at the results of GP Amsterdam 2011, which is basically this format plus Innistrad. And but I think the idea and part of why a lot of people like that format so much before Diver was that it puts a lot less pressure on you, right? 
And people would say, oh, then you go and do all the broken stuff. But the thing is, there wasn't all that much super broken stuff that you would go for in the first place. There's not like getting Grizzlebrand into play on the second turn. You you get, I don't know, Emrakul into play on the second turn, which was already like... <sighs> you. But you would still get that with Caracas, because Caracas probably was one of the cards that, that really had its heyday between 2010 and 2012. And... Yeah, I, I just before like we talked too much about my experience in the format back then because my experience is more based on Delva already being legal. Maybe we can just like talk about what you guys experienced and and how you guys perceived the format compared to what's going on in Legacy right now. I think the point you're making about Delva, I think Callum and I both felt it to be a massive brush of fresh air, fresh air, breath of fresh air, not having Delva of Secrets be legal, like. Not having to be scared of the turn one three two flyer means you can just you know sit back and spell snare things and play two drops and play three drops and it's fine. Like I think one person in the room was playing days and they were playing Cephalid Breakfast. Um, so yeah, that that sort of valve on the format not being there is quite pleasant. <laughs> it's it's more like the. Like people can play days, it was like very played in that format. But if you don't have a turn one such a strong threat as Delver, like dazing back a land is a much more real cost. And like getting your three drop days is not so bad when you don't have this insane one drop like just killing you so fast. Like it, like Delver can just goldfish turn five very easily. And so yeah, it's it's the whole like playing into days when you can and can't afford it. But you usually could afford it in the past, I assume, because you just don't die as fast. So yeah, but I want to say actually, like if you get basically in the past, I feel like you could actually afford to play around days much more often, because these days when when Delver is beating down on you and you you often don't even have a chance. Like if you wait one more turn, you're gonna lose, so you're gonna take the basically the gamble of them maybe not having days, and basically end up playing into days these days. Whereas back then, I maybe my memory doesn't serve me right, but I remember it to be much more of a thing to talk to people about, hey, how can I improve my game? And you point out a couple of scenarios where they actually should have played around days. Whereas I feel these days, you play into days much more often, actually. So that's it's an interesting perception that's somewhat different there. Yeah, I completely agree. And that was kind of my point. Like In the past, you could play around days, but nowadays, I think it's like... I know, I'd definitely say it's more often not correct to play into it. Because I think yeah, our friend I think it was Pete said this. Power twenty two said that like the cost. Maybe it was you, Callum, but like the cost of getting wastelanded is much higher now. Like now, if you get wastelanded, your opponent hits you for three, and they had cast a spell with the Dreadhorde Arcanist, and you're basically dead. Whereas in Prehistoric, if you get wastelanded, like they hit you with their one one Nimble Mongoose, and then you get another go, and it's like okay, that that nothing really happened. Um, yeah, it's just it's just the, on the back of one wasteland now. As the power level of threats go up, the effectiveness of small scale interaction just like rises. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. So as Francis said, it was just so nice to play without Delva. Like it just like it almost like soft unbans two and three drops. It, I think I think Delva is such a huge stranglehold. It's hard to tell, and maybe the power level of the combos decks is like so high in the format that we do need Delva now, or, like some kind of police, but. I don't know. I'm I'm really sick of the card personally. But <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I, I couldn't tell. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Sensei's top and counterbalance felt pretty good against the combo players. So <laughs> yeah, I also hate I also hate counterbalance. So yeah, I mean the the format like 
it just felt like the games just do go long, like they're super grindy. We like um, we were playing some at the pub on Tuesday before our real legacy, and Francis and Pete Power Twenty Two were playing, and it was like uh, Francis was playing Toglas, so bug control. Pete was playing like blue white Stoneblade, but with like Fathom Seers and Elspeths and Jaces and stuff. And they both they came like we had to go to play, but they were both about to deck out. And I think Francis was going to lose because he decked. Even though they both have Academy Ruins, Pete was just kind of like ahead on actual cards that do stuff. And every single turn, they were making very relevant decisions and doing stuff. And and it was an actual resource battle rather than a mana battle. So like you're you're saving cards for specific things rather than, right, I'm going to use this because I use my mana so that they don't snowball with this thing. And yeah, it's just so much more back and forth. That was an exhausting game. <laughs> I don't yeah. think it went on for about 45 minutes. We played one game. We sat down like well before we needed to go to the shop and it was like, yeah. no, we're just not going to finish it. I'll concede because yeah. I think I'm dead. <laughs> it was just so we, we, we did play a game then at, like in between rounds and I had um, New Horizons with me. And God, I played a night on turn three and then forced two plows on turn four and turn five and then it won. So that was interesting gameplay. Yeah. But yeah, it's amazing how night was just I mean, Julian, I'm sure you can speak to its strengths. Like, it's still insane now. I think people really do underestimate how insane night still is. But back then, my God, it's just insane. Yeah, for sure. No, no fatal push or nothing like that. Abrupt decay around. Yeah, decay is a big one. Like, n- yeah, that that's what the only thing that kind of annoys me about this this new format we're kind of trying to make is I find counterparts and top really really exhausting and boring, but. Francis is a big proponent of okay, so this is where I wanna uh, <laughs> this is where I wanna cut it because it's so interesting that you guys experienced and basically you were creating the format in the meta game, right? Uh, independent of what the meta game was like for people playing back then. And I by now twice heard you speak about counterbalance and like this at this time at least like maybe you found something and we we were kind of stubborn back then and we didn't notice it. But this was like after counterbalance had already died the first time. So counterbalance like used to be a thing, and like countertop used to be a really really big thing in two thousand nine and like beginning of two thousand ten, but then it really went away with like the entire Lara block when when we got like Quasari Pride Mage, and I think Crows and Grip might already have been a thing or uh, actually was already a thing, but then we also got Green Sun Senate, which give us another angle to play around counterbalance. So this format that you are playing back then when we were playing it like almost ten years ago, counterbalance was super dead. And I remember when it came back in 2012, uh, I, I I think you guys know Marius Hausmann. Like, I remember him calling me yeah. and he told me, like, he told me about a tournament he played in where people played Miracles for the first time. And one thing he told me was, if there was one thing he would have never thought would ever come back, that would be Countertop. And then it came back and then it dominated Legacy for basically five years. Uh, so yeah, that's... You're actually looking at the time period where Countertop was like super dead because what people was do- were doing was just like mana curve wise too diverse, which I guess also goes back to um, there not being too much diver and, and generally like not too much pressure on people to to really basically do something right. Uh, it, it's just to me, I only just as we are recording right now really fully realized that you guys were playing without diver, so it's a little bit hard to to explain. But the lack of diver made it, if anything, even Verse because uh, mana curves were much higher, so it, it, it's interesting yeah, that you guys see that um, the counterbalance was good for you. It makes complete sense that like the lack of Delva makes counterbalance worse. Days being a large percentage of the format, like kind of constricts everybody's curves into one and two, 
And so you can build a deck around Counterbalance to just dominate everybody else if that's what they're doing, if that's what their plan is. So I, yeah, I, I, and people were playing Kasali Pride Mage. I was the only Counterbalance player in the room. Um, I don't know why. Nobody else seemed to find that card fun. Very strange. <laughs> um, yeah. But, like, and that card was a pain. Um, so I think I, I was only playing three Counterbalance in my deck, and I was focusing more on the interactions between the the Pestamites in my Splinter Twin deck and the Sensei's Divining Top to like gain me card advantage, like you would do with oh. Predict. Yeah, you can so, kill like, them, but you can also <laughs> draw a card. That's... Yeah, so all your two ones like ah. draw you cards with top, and then you sort of ignore all their like removal for your enchantments, and you kill them with Lightning Bolts and Pestamites. And if they ever like tap out, you kill them with your Splinter Twin, or you like lock them out with Counterbalance after bolting their Kazali Prime Mage. So you have like a a threat of two different combo locks, and you can also like break the board parity with your your creatures, which is sort of what you what it's almost what the miracle spells provided, like Terminus and Entreat the Angels provided like a way of sort of breaking the board parity and then threatening to end the game. So you really pressured your opponent to play before you lock them out with counterbalance, but then you also restricted what they could play with your terminus. So you, they can't tap out because you have Splinter Twin combo, but they, yeah, it's it makes it very difficult for them to play. But I tried playing like blue-white shells with counterbalance, and they were just nowhere near as good. You don't have enough mana. All of the payoffs are artifacts, like Stoneforge Mystic or um, Thopter Sword. So I, I, I didn't find that as good. As you can tell, I probably thought about this way too much for a <laughs> Oh, that, that's fine, though. But, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you can talk more later about your current Splinter Twin deck, Francis. I'm very curious about that. Sure, if if that yeah fits into the schedule, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Um, so to give you basically my take on what we experienced in the format back then, I actually don't want to make this too much about Delva because I actually feel, with a couple of exceptions, Delva isn't really the biggest thing that um, makes a difference for the format. If you ask me, the biggest thing really is how i mean the obvious thing is terminus is gone right i'm just looking at the top decks of of the format back then and most of them die horribly to terminus or have a really rough time against it and the other thing is grizzlebrand and those are two things that that's why i always talk about like pre-everson it's to me it's like less about pre-innistart it's more about pre-everson restart and back then the best decks no matter whether Deva was around or not, because like we talked about, that was really only just a 10-day window um, where Green-White Maverick, like Green-White Maverick was making a very strong case to be the tier one deck in the format. But we always talk about the Holy Trinity back then, which is Maverick, Espa Deathblade, and Canadian Threshold with or without Deva. So both basically you, you could apply. And uh, other than that, we also have stuff like Merfolk, and I, I guess people were still trying to play Sue, but Sue really very quickly died because it just like couldn't keep up with Maverick. Maverick was just like uh, I talked about this, right? It's, it's too mid rangey for Sue, but not so mid rangey that Sue, Sue could go under it, and that's why Sue kind of went away. And it's not like anything regarding Terminus or or Grizzlebrand that killed Sue. Sue was basically murdered by Maverick. But yeah, Maverick, uh, Merfolk was a really big deck. People played a lot of mid range stuff and. What helped the format was that most combo decks outside of Storm wouldn't really have this one thing where they really killed you. I mean, the, or if they did, you you could interact with it much more easily. Like, for example, Painter. Like, people did play Painter and, and you had game against that. Um, but yeah, I, I just keep going back to, and I'm going to link that to my tournament report from GP Amsterdam from October 2011. 
uh, Vera played against Reanimator, and that's really like to me that feels how how games against combo. Actually, uh, maybe I'm actually going to cut this entire segment because I'm not I'm not really sure where I'm going with this. <laughs> no, <laughs> no it's, but seriously, no, I was I was actually uh, when you were finished this segment, I was going to bring up that exact uh, part in your report the the Reanimator game. Like, I think that's just good gameplay. Like, if if you do your combo, but the opponent still has some chance to kind of beat it or interact with it, like, you're, you're still going to be favoured. But that's just good gameplay, rather than Grizzle Brand just ending the game, like, 95% of the time. Yeah, yeah, it feels like back then it, it was somewhat closer to chess, like the proper chess, whereas now I feel we've, we've exchanged a couple of bishops and knights for, like, rooks and queens. I think that's the best analogy I can make about how the format back then fared to the format compared to today. Mm. Was there was there that much combo at the the time we're kind of like aiming for just before? No, no, no. Back like, then I'm there was. Some sheets here. I, I would say there was actually yeah. significantly less combo, and if there was, it was yeah. much easier to interact with. I mean, that just sounds fun. Like the combo was good enough to play, and like Storm was still doing well. Like it was still a thing. High tie was a thing, but. I know you could almost like put some thought to sword combo decks in in some categories, but I know it seems just way more healthy to have combo decks that are good enough. But when a when a combo deck is too good, it's not yeah. very fun for the format. Really. You mentioned Storm, and I think one might actually make a case uh, for Ant or Ant and even Doomsday to be underplayed at the time, because I feel like those decks a lot of times actually didn't even fully adopt the Cabal Therapy plus Gataxia Probe thing. That they got like Anorak is actually messaging me about he wants to play Mario Party with me. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have Mario Party. But anyway, so I, I, I can totally see that. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think and especially must be when because we're still in a pre-Thalia world as well, right? Yeah, we are in a pre-Thalia world because oh yeah, Thalia was released in Dark Ascension, right? So this is oh yeah, the, yeah. The, uh, oh I, I'm sorry, I'm, I think I'm doing a really bad job explaining this because now that you mentioned Thalia, we didn't play Thalia back then for a while. And that's no. exactly where I am. Like, I'm post Innistrad, pre-Dark Ascension, and Everson Restart. But, I mean, if you wanted, you could even yeah. include Thalia. That would probably, like, disproportionately favor Maverick. But it would also give you, um, what's it called? The thing that everybody likes that gives you souls, lingering souls. So, oh, yeah. and that actually gave a push to Esper Deathblade and Esper Stoneblade as well. So, this this is just, yeah. like, th- this area where, where I feel like the gameplay of Legacy almost all of its history, because I missed the first two, two and a half years. But in all of the history that I experienced, this one thing was the best. And this is not like this, oh, nostalgia thing, because like the very first years I played Legacy, it was good. But like this period of like half a year was the best. And I keep going back to it and re-exploring it and, and like looking at our deck lists. And it's just the best gameplay I've ever seen. And I, I am glad that you guys went back there and played a very similar format and had similar experiences. And I think that people are actually going to continue supporting this. Like, I know that Sam actually has organized uh, a tournament, a pre Innistrad tournament in Texas at the, what's it called? Texas Lurgolfs? Is that the star? Yeah, the. Uh, oh, it's Lone Star Legacy, the, right? Lone Star, like, well, it's, it's Texas Lurgolfs, I think they call themselves. Yes, it's like Sam Craven. Yeah, it's so cool that they're doing it. Like, we didn't think this would catch on. Actually, I will just say we didn't, well, at least me, I didn't plan on the, I didn't know how long the gap between Mental Misstep being banned and Innistrad came out. I thought it was longer than 10 days, so I didn't really know what I was doing when, like, we came up with the format. But we just decided it was something that we'd like to do. We polled our, like, we have a group, Facebook group for, like, people in the south of the UK who play Legacy. 
We polled them would they be interested in us doing this format, uh, Legacy Unchained, pre-modern, all these kind of like alternate, eternal formats. And yeah, the, the feedback was pretty positive. And yeah, for 13 people for our first event, it's pretty cool. And I think it's just going to go up. So yeah, we're not like pushing for this to be one of like the uh, official pre-modern or whatever the whatever's uh, going around formats. It's just... It's just a really, really fun way of playing Magic. Yeah, I saw some people, people like kind of asking you to fully promote the format as as the new thing, but that, that's not really something yeah. you're trying to do with it, right? It's just no, not at all. It's I, like someone said about, about the ban list. We should have like a, an official thing, but like this is really for fun. Like if your playgroup wants to unban or ban something, go for it. Like we're going to unban. I think probably Dragon, Black Vice, and Land Tax for the next events because they don't seem that good. And this should be interesting. Like, it's just fun to play the stuff that was and wasn't legal back then as well and exploring it. Like this 10-day gap format. <laughs> 10-day gap format. Before, so, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, maybe, as we were talking before, you said that counterbalance top, like, wasn't a thing then. But do you think mental misstep being legal to counter top had a huge part in that, maybe? Mm, like, no, I, I wouldn't say so, because like, part, it was yeah. really that that super dead uh, before mental misstep okay. was even printed. Like you, you would sometimes see it, like sometimes in the sideboard of Canadian Threshold, and they would only set it up basically with cantrips, and that was to combat High Tide because High Tide with Candelabras was like a big deck kinda during the Mental Misstep area. A lot of people, uh, no, right after the Mental Misstep area, there was, and yeah, it's it's just like what what Mental Misstep did is it slowed down the entire format. Usually, we said by a turn. So you actually got away with playing a lot more big stuff and like higher mana costs. And and remember, you also didn't have Delva. So trying yeah. to make your counterbalance work was incredibly rough on top of the format also having access to like a lot of Crossholly Pride matches you saw running around and also Crows yeah. Grip because we didn't have a prep decay yet. So Crows Grip was actually played quite a lot in sideboards. So yeah, counterbalance was really dead back then. One thing actually... Yeah, I was just going to mention that I actually played a lot back then on, on Magic Online, and I played, like, Stoneblade, and I can't remember that, I, like, there was an active choice not playing Counterbalance. I just, I was totally new, so I did not, probably did not know that it existed, but, yeah, it's, I think it could have seen some play. So, one one thing, one remark, maybe when you look at back at this format, and with and when you build decks now, with the knowledge you have now, maybe those decks would be different. So. Yeah, I think that that's true. Like one thing that we noticed that was quite obviously different was that people weren't really playing with Ponder or Preordain. No one, at least they're not anywhere near close to the extent that they play with them now. Like people might have four Brainstorm, but then they'll only play two Preordain as their remaining cantrips, and that's it. And they won't yeah. play Gitaxian Pope or Ponder. And it's really quite strange. And I'm wondering if that's to do with like mental misstep being really popular or was it just that like deck building theory had not got very far so i want to say i think, I think there's there's ladder. two reasons and hopefully i won't forget the second one after i hit the first one um so with regards to probe i think it really hadn't caught on yet uh, i think probe took quite a while to fully catch on uh to to understand how good it was to to have this extra information and also like work it in combo decks but yeah, I, I definitely agree on Probe that that was way underplayed in, in all kinds of decks, actually. And with regards to Ponda and Preordain, like, Preordain wasn't even that much of a card that people talked about. Like, I think it was played in some combo decks, but even in, in uh, 
like tempo decks. I think yeah, Ponder Wash played. Um, but to to give you an example of what the discussion back then was like, so when miracles became a thing, and I guess you guys might remember this, uh, the biggest discussion, the very biggest discussion in the early month of miracles, or even half year or year, was whether to play Ponda in the first place or not. And we all know eventually the the Ponda fraction won out, and like the Venza fraction became like the followers of the false prophet or whatever they called it, but. There was a lot of talk of whether a deck like Miracles wants Ponda, which if you look at it from today's perspective, that's just like crazy, right? Like, of course, Miracles wants Ponda. It's like a card that was almost made for Miracles. But back then, it wasn't as appreciated as it is now. Yeah, I think that has to do with spells you also put in your deck. So if you if you play Ponder, maybe you cannot play this 4-drop that you ponder into turn 4. But now you just push the mana down the curve. So Ponder makes more sense. Oh, that's an interesting point. So you're basically saying you were actually playing more, more, quote unquote, actual cards in your deck as compared to cantraps because you just needed the space. Uh, whereas Ponda is the kind of card you play if you really want to hit your third land drop because you're putting on being put under a lot of pressure from from tempo decks. Yeah, basically, instead of playing four Ponda and one Venser, you played three Venser and a land and just hope to get there. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> It, I think some of the Xerx 3, like, it didn't quite make sense for that format because you are trading cards and you need to have real cards to trade. Like, you didn't have that many, like, complete trumps. So, I don't know, like, as as busted as Ponder is back in this day, like, the, my first thoughts were, like, oh, my God, people didn't play Ponder anywhere near enough. And you're probably right about Probe being underplayed, but I don't know, you can't play, like, Top and Ponder and Brainstorm and Preordain as well. Like, there is... Marcus is going to like unmute himself here and disagree, but there is such thing as too much air, and especially in this format, if you spin wheels too much, like people were just playing goyfs on turn two, like you you do die to them. So, I don't know. yeah, I wonder. I, th- I think it pro- they probably were underplayed, but not by a significant amount. I wonder if Channel Fireball was onto something back then, because I very much remember that, uh, especially LSB and a couple of other guys, there was one legacy GP I think in the US where they all played Reanimator. So basically at the point where, where Mental Misstep was already banned and they played Blue-Black Reanimator and that deck was really like, I, w- I want to say it was actually the premier combo deck of the format back then. And that deck, I, I couldn't actually find the deck list because it's so hard if you go to Google and you Google for like Channel Fireball Reanimator, you find like infinite things. But I'm pretty sure there's an article about LSV out there. Maybe I can find it, then I'm going to link it in the show notes where he talks about the way they, they built Reanimator. And that was probably one of the most streamlined decks in legacy back then and i would be surprised if they didn't play like four ponder back then because that that's a card yeah, that, that, that would certainly make sense there so maybe they were actually like I, i'm not sure how much of a difference there was that deck building wise but these days i'm certainly sure we like we have a lot more resources and people discuss this thing a lot more i mean we have facebook chats now hey yeah 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 i mean i guess <laughs> if, if when counterbalance was at its height like that punishes cantrips as well I mean, maybe it's not a reason to actually not play Ponder. It's a reason to play Ponder with Counterbalance, if anything. But I don't know. It's just like another maybe reason. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's. Um, I guess that's the format. I, I I was just looking at the results of GP Amsterdam 2011, which, like we said, it includes Delva. But if you ask me, it actually doesn't make that big of a difference um, with regards to what the metagame actually looked like. Or maybe we are wrong about this. I don't know. 
and there's just so many amazing players and so many names that I got to meet later on. And I even noticed that, that Tomasz Mar was playing back then, like nine years ago. He must have been like, I don't know, 10 or really? 11. Like, or maybe like 12. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it's so funny because it actually doesn't show his deck list. Like he got 24th place and everybody has their deck list shown in the top 32, but he doesn't. So maybe maybe he was actually already playing checkpile back then and nobody knows. <laughs> Wild guess. He had one of each duel in his deck. <laughs> <laughs> that's called that's called Legacy Tron. <laughs> when you have every single duel. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking at these Amsterdam deck lists as well. Like the first place list from Pierre Summon is just it's just beautiful. I don't know. I love it. Oh, that was Band Aggro, right? Or Band Midrange rather. Uh Band Stoneblade. Band Stoneblade, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember watching lovely. that. That was really cool. Uh there was another list. Knights, clicks. Uh okay, you keep going. I'm just so yeah. First was a uh, Bandstone Blade. Uh, just actually, every single card in this list is played today in Legacy. So he was kind of ahead of his time. So you have Jaces, Knights, Cliques, Snapcasters, Same Forges, Threats. You have Noble Hierarchs as Acceleration. He has two Ponder, which is almost like the same as in a lot of Stone Blades list run. Like two <laughs> if they have Hierarchs. Like uh, yeah, this is just every card is played today. Second is uh, Rug Delver with like yeah. Mongoose, Goif, Delver. Uh, this has four Ponders. Four Spell Snares. That's, that's some serious business. Four Leyland of the Void in the sideboard as well. Wow. Uh, we have, I guess, Ant in third. So is this after... So this is with Probe. Yeah, he's playing Probe. with Parson Flames. So Parson Flames, I guess, the big one. So this is Ely Pichon. I, remember, I know that name very well. So he was kind of... Was he one of the first ones to play... Past and Flames? I don't know. I don't know if he Did was one of the first past? ones, but I remember back then he was a very well-known player. Yeah. There's a crystal vein in the man base. <laughs> Deep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> then we have, uh, I guess, uh, Hivemind in fourth. So, like, what well, show and tell Emrakul yeah. and Hivemind. That was Christoph Kovac. And that was basically the breakout yeah. tournament for, for Hivemind, I want to say. Yeah. And four intuitions, yeah. Pats, yeah. Yeah, Hivemind, I remember getting into, and there's that classic... Uh, Battle of Wits versus Hive Mind match on SCG, right? Oh, the, the, the one the show and tell, uh, and, and they put in. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the classics. Yeah. Okay, then we have uh, Fabian Gotson. He's another name I know very well. Playing Maverick. Probably is Punishing it, Maverick. Uh, Punishing Maverick. Yeah. yeah, Punishing Maverick. That was the way to break we the have... mirror back then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Then we have New Horizons. So, like, Bant night deck with stifles and stuff. So it's kind of like the the pre Delver but mid range Delver. Yeah, this is like a, a slightly more mid rangey version of Delver, with basically without Delver, yeah. just like Noble Hierarch um, Knight, but also Stifle Days in Wasteland. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, I think it was Francis. Did you make a pretty good point on Tuesday where we were saying, or maybe it's Pete said that like like almost every single deck just had fetch lands. There wasn't these ancient tomb decks like stifle was just a good card it doesn't didn't matter if you're trying to be a tempo deck or not like it just every single deck had stifle targets so uh speaking of that we have an ancient tomb deck next <laughs> just tell me i'm an idiot uh painter with yeah tops and stuff uh then we have what's the next one next one's like what a band countertop yeah band countertop so it's still a time of so it's like so just blue white splashing goif basically and then finally, we have another Punishing Maverick and Andre Strasky wow, mm -hmm. playing Rugged Elver as well. That's sweet. Yeah, there's, I didn't realize there's, a there's Martin Leibart, if you go down. Uh, then there's then, yeah. Jan van der Feucht. Uh, there, oh, there's yeah. a couple of like Dimitri Nikitin, and that's a name. Like most people 
these guys probably wouldn't know Dimitri, but Dimitri probably was, to me, one of the most influential deck builders at the time. Dimitri is from Russia, but I think he lives in Germany, or at least at the time lived in Germany then. And he's the guy behind all the earlier and later versions of Agrodome. So he was the guy who actually made like the current versions of Agrodome, which at this point had already died down. So now what he was playing is he was actually cutting black. So he didn't play, Zen, um, what's it called? Dark Confident anymore because he wanted to play white for Knight of the Liquary and Quasali Prime Mage. Yeah. And that's. This one's just Nair, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the list that you see here. And he already played that at GP Madrid in 2010. I actually have a video of him on my on my YouTube. If you Google Dimitri Nikitin on my YouTube, <laughs> um, playing on I'll day two. This. And that, that guy is like, this guy is one of the scariest guys I've ever met in Magic. Uh, I've never played against him, but seeing him play. Like, <laughs> I mean, this, this is just anecdotal evidence, but I, I saw him play on day two and he mulliganed down to six against against Marius on Dreadnought, on Dreadstill. And then on a mulligan to six, Dimitri plays turn one knight, turn two knight. It's like, whoa. And, and, and Marius even gets like the turn two Dreadnought and doesn't even matter because the knights are just too big. And wow. yeah, that, that's Dimitri Nikitin for you. And he, he's like incredibly that's influential cool. when it comes to, to this like non-blue deck building uh, yeah. I'm just so happy to see him there. And then, yeah. I'm check out more. But there's also like there's, Cyril. Uh, Jan van der Vecht, who's. Jan van der Vecht is. He's streams, right? Yeah, yeah. Jan, uh, yeah. Jan was, I want to say, the very first legacy streamer. Even like probably close to the very first yeah. Magic streamer. I think there was one in the US uh, whom I didn't watch that much because of time zones. But Jan, basically, Jan and Mark uh, Koenig Barra are the two inspirations why yeah. I started streaming. And Jan has been a champion so of uh, Sneak Show for, for many years. Diesel and. Gay Jesus of Nazareth, was it? Mark's thing. Uh, sorry? Yeah. 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 Uh, it, was, it was a Gay Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, yeah, that, that was name. Mark's initial nickname, Gay Jesus <laughs> yeah. of Nazareth. Yeah. And he was reported by a friend of mine many times until he had to change his nickname. But then they got to meet nice. later on and they reconciled, I guess. <laughs> so happy. <laughs> anyway, end. sorry, I interrupted. So we have Cyril Turoy. He's pretty known the French. Yeah. French. He, he was influential in making like a, a Curdape deck. And oh yeah, see he actually has Curdape here. He has Curdape here. He, he put Curdape into into the uh, Diver decks, and he also played that later on during the Miracle days. Even I, I played against him in nice. the side event. Even I remember that. So yeah, there's there's a lot of amazing decks, and then there's Thomas Schmar. There's, there's Gregor Skowalski in twenty fifth place. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Omar Rona God. was also like a pretty big name at the time, I think. Uh, Christoph Alzheimer is known as one of the best storm players of all times. So I think he also made top eight in Lille two thousand fifteen. Playing, playing for Kalalom. Sweet. Yeah, that's like I some. I, this GP always feels like the place to go back to to look up deck lists for yeah. the format I have on mind, which is like what you guys are playing plus Innistrad, basically. And yeah, this is. There's also a Johan Sturz here. We know Johan. He still plays Miracles. He still plays Blue White Miracles every single time, forever. <laughs> what did he play back, here, back he then? Like, here it's Rug like Control. Wow, like Chaos Warp. Yeah, it's just rug with like Jace, Goyf, Snapcasters, Grim Love Mancer, Cliques. Okay, as well, was the no one. I saw a, a couple of Spanish guys play that in, in Diva at the time. He's playing yeah, a cool. no more mid-rangey deck, I see. I see. He's playing pre yeah. yeah, you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. But so no, yeah, no ponder. ponder but yeah, two pre-ordering. Interesting stuff. Yeah, wow, this is I love just looking at these decks. Like I'm just smiling as I'm scrolling through it, just looking at it like this is so cool. Yeah. yeah. So I remember that event actually. So I got all nostalgic when I heard the names on the deck lists. And do you guys notice something else? Something I've been pointing out like a lot when people talk to me about um the current meta game and how oh, by the way oh, okay that 
Anyway, um, sorry, I'm, I'm going to cut that part out. Just saw that Marcus said he wanted to say something. You have an anecdote from the format? Yeah, okay. So speaking of that uh, event for Amsterdam, I just have a funny short story. My my friend, he was dead on board, and but he did not scoop. So his opponent went end of turn, enlightened tutor, and my friend was just super dead. And he found skull clamp <laughs> at this event. And of course, it's not legal, so he won the game and the match. <laughs> really? That's yeah. insane. <laughs> Can you imagine playing Skull so, and thinking never it's scoop. okay? <laughs> well, this was like round four, so it's, it's just so amazing how he got there. That's insane. Never scoop, because yeah. you might yep. have just your opponent have illegal cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Awesome. Um, something I want to point out that really sticks out... I think to mo would stick out to most people who never played back then compared to the current meta game. Do you know which card is entirely absent from the top 32? And if I look at the meta game, the uh, mostly at all. I would guess Chalice of the Void, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Chalice of the Void. I'm just looking it up right now. Yeah, and there's no Chalice of the Void, not even in the Mox Diamond decks. Like that's why it's so beautiful. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that's why they're not not playing Ponder. <laughs> so they were next leveling us 2020. Yeah. yeah. If nobody's playing Pondo, why are you playing Chalice? <laughs> I, I really just want to point that out because these days people always talk about how big of a factor Chalice is. And it took, actually took me some time to fully internalize that Chalice is a like prime strategy in Legacy. Like, you know, you, you have like Delva, you have like, I don't know, I want to call it like, what, what are the pillars of the format, right? Like Dark Ritual and Delva and what have you. And I, I would say these days Chalice certainly is a pillar of the format as well. And back then and for many years before and like i, I want to say even afterwards until miracles became a thing chalice really was just this thing and, uh, uh, that people did because they wanted to play i don't know dragon stompy or angel stompy or sea stompy and it's just a card that slotted in back then and there's a chance that we were doing it all wrong back then like you mentioned how deck building might, might have been different back then i don't know maybe i don't i really don't know but I think, think Chalice wasn't nearly as good back then. People are more about having fun, by, fun back then, I guess. Like Chalice is a spiky card. It, no, no one enjoys locking up. I, I, I wouldn't say Chalice that. I think Chalice is, is a, it can be a spiky card if the deck is good. But I think Chalice and Stumpy decks in general are a ton of fun if you don't play a lot. Well, I, yeah, I think that the threats that you would play in a Chalice deck have. I think increased significantly more than maybe the threats you would play in other decks, which might sound weird, but I remember, like, I think I started playing Legacy only in, like, 2015, and the see, even since then, I've noticed, like, the change in the, the frequency of Chalice decks you face. Like, then you would just play against, like, Metalworker sometimes, or Stacks sometimes. Yeah, Geth and, and Raiders. It's like, yeah, like, random stuff like this, and then, and now you play against, like, like Chandra deck or like like Moonstompy, but the threats in them like Chandra is so much better than Mogcatcher or whatever you would have played or or Dragon or like all the Eldrazi. So I think the incentive to play Chalice proactively has also gone up as well as like Ponder being played more. That's a really good point. We played some horrible creatures back then. I remember the best Chalice deck was was basically Dragon Stompy, and they played Gathen Riders and oh my god, Arc Slogger. Can can we please like get back yes. Arc Slogger into the format? I will just say very quickly. I think. Uh, it's going to sound weird when I first say it, but like I think Delva has a huge effect on why Chalice is good. Like I know Chalice counters Delva, but Delva, like as we was mentioned earlier, restricts like the mana curves people are almost allowed to have in the format. 
where three drops are almost a liability. Or like, well, people play three drops, but four drops especially are like. There's this uh, thing people say if it's not winning the game, you shouldn't play a four drop or something. So the the speed of Delver and like the punishingness of Wasteland and Days in those decks means like the curves just have to come down to compete with it. You have to play one drop removal. Uh, you, you can't be playing like three mana removal spells on Delvers, it just doesn't work. So because the format is trying to be as fast and lean as possible, Chalice really, really um just picks up on that and like punishes it even further. So I think if like we we see it in this pre Innistrad legacy event, without Delver, you can play around days we were saying, and you can have your threats higher up on the curve. And if your threats are higher up on the curve, then that just beats Chalice as well. So I think it's like a, a mix of these multiple things that makes it worse back then and it's better now because of Delver. I think that that's a really yeah, good point. A good point. That's to to Chalice, yeah. Um, that people played those higher mana curves and at the same time, also, I mean, we we get to. You, I think Eldrazi is the prime example, right, of of a good Chalice deck as opposed to the C Stompy deck or whatever we had back then. Like people were even trying to play some weird Chins or something. It's not like that they played Mahamudi Chin or whatever it's called, but yeah, we we had some bad cards back then. Chalice decks. Are you saying that Reality Smash is better than C uh, Drake? <laughs> Slightly. Slightly. <laughs> Just yeah. a bit. Callum was telling me about people playing fair pestamites in their mono blue stomp. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a thing. That was very much a thing. Just like straight up pestamite, mm -hmm. just so you could like tap a land, get a little bit of an advantage, or even tap down a creature to win the damage race with your two-one flyer. That was like a th like if you played that deck, that was a thing. Yes, you could also do something like untap your what's it called ancient tomb, so you could get like in a in a way it only was like That's a, a two-one two two flyer. Yeah. Wow. Hey. <laughs> yeah. And you and you had the painter servant and Lavan Cephalid Empress. Or maybe that was later. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that was similar to that time, right? So people people would do that to well, Lavan first of all was a card to, to lock out Merfolk. But then if you played in paint, of course you could entirely lock out all the creature decks. But yeah, um something I, I, I feel awkward talking a little bit about this because I've been very vocal about how much I, I dislike uh Wild Grizzlebrand and Terminus, and I think those two cards actually had the biggest say in changing this format that you see here in the top 32 deck lists at Amsterdam and whatever came afterwards, because a lot of the stuff that you see here, it, it's really not very good if, you, if you're up against Terminus, and that's what, to me, killed a lot of these decks, and that's, <laughs> like... It's not that big yeah, of a thing right now because we don't have top anymore, and I think playing against Terminus is okay right now, but a lot of the stuff you see here still wouldn't work for basically two biggest reasons being Grizzlebrand and Terminus. You linked to Sheet and of the uh, metagame in around 2011, and the top decks in order are Maverick, Merfolk, Zoo, and then like Thresh, Canadian Thresh, and then it goes into some combo. But like, yeah, as you said, the first four top decks are just creature, flood the boards, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, that was that was from uh, Wino's or uh, Wino Six in 2011. Um, it, it's not the yeah. entire meta game. It's basically what people played at at that tournament. But I think it had a lot of players. It had like okay. a couple hundred at least. That, that tournament was like really big. It's pretty good still. Paints a nice picture. Yeah, I mean, also the reason we didn't make this format either because we were like totally sick of just Grizzly Brown and Terminus. Kind of missed the old like play patterns, I guess. Like it's, I mean, we were like intuitioning for AKs and stuff. Just like everything felt more fair and slowed down, and you could actually make more decisions in games and stuff. I guess that's the that's the format we are in now. It's hard to Less describe. Less snowbally things, like you said earlier. Okay. Yeah. Like you're not punished when you're like a turn behind on your curve. 
as much. So. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, but, but I don't want to end with, well, oh, it used to be so good back then and now it sucks. Uh, I mean, that's not what we're saying, but uh, what, yeah. what do you guys enjoy about I, I the current format right now? I think there's a lot. I think the, the, the legacies of format has kind of moved away slightly from actual player skill in game. And I think a huge part of the skill of the format is it's the same thing in modern, I believe, is like deck choice, tuning deck lists, and then like carrying out your plans in the game is a huge part of it still. So, so in the past, you could probably do well at a tournament with not the best deck, but you could definitely outplay people. You're trading resources, you're using the counter spells at the right time or removal at the right time. But now you're really getting rewarded for choosing the right deck at the right time and having the right sideboard cards is a big thing. Like it, it does sound like a lot of the actual critiques people have made about modern in the past, but uh, for a player like me, I, I think I can play a lot of different decks, okay? So I don't mind it too much, but I can see some of the older legacy players getting a bit tired of you know, they stick with their one deck and it kind of falls in and out of the meta and like gets better sometimes. And it can have some rough patches for some people, but I don't know. I think deck choice is a really interesting part of being a good Magic player. So I enjoy it, but I can see how it cannot be for other people. Francis, what's something you like about Legacy right now? What do I like about Legacy now? Uh, at the moment, I'm playing... Well, yeah, last month I was playing, like, Rug Splinter Twin, so abusing Oko. And then this month I'm playing, like, an Ox of Agonis Phoenix deck. <laughs> I don't think I'm doing the same thing. I'm not... Like, I, I'm trying to... I have, like, a reasoning behind these decks why I'm playing them. I think that beating Breach... You can't control breach; they will answer your permanents, and you have to kill them at some point. So having some sort of like combo or quick clock is very important if you're going to play a inverted commas fair blue deck. Um, and I guess I'm enjoying like playing with the new cards, but my like there was definitely a point in time where I cared a lot about playing the best deck all the time, and I suppose I yeah I find it difficult to want to switch decks so often in the same way that Callum is suggesting. <laughs> so I, I find more fun in choosing alternative strategies and thinking about how to beat stuff. So I, I guess what you're saying is you, you enjoy that people spend, or or at least seems to you that people spend more time working out the, the kinks of certain specific decks instead of just playing something yeah. that works for them. And yeah, I, I can see that, right? Yeah. Uh, I I didn't enjoy the format when everyone was playing Grixis Delva for two years. Like that was not fun. I did not like that at all. So I prefer this to that. But yeah, Marcus, what what do you enjoy the most right now, in general? Oh, I I really enjoy this breach deck. It's just <laughs> I want to pass the turn. I want to draw cards, counter spells, and then kill them at the last po possible moment with a non-deterministic kill. That's that's what I do. And so, like. Yeah, tapping islands, as Kellen is suggesting. And it just so happens to be that the, that play pattern is very good w with the best deck of the format right now, so I enjoy that. Uh, on the other hand, I think it's... I like, like, I'm a brewer nowadays, so when something is solved, it becomes kind of boring, so then I jump to something else. Um, but yeah. I was thinking about something you said earlier with the chalice that we, we did not use it use it back then in 2012, and I'm thinking now maybe. So one like deck building constraint is that if you play chalice of the void, you don't play pond and brainstorm, right? That's that's how we build decks these days. But now chalice on zero is so good, so maybe you can build a deck with the cantrip cartel and the chalice on zero. So, so just something 
throwing out there uh, to breach, beat the breach deck. That's interesting. I, I would think you would you would play something like Nalrod, but of course that's already a, like quite the mana investment, and then you maybe can't fight back against their Fossil And if you don't play it on the second turn, you, you might just get like comboed out. So I, I can see that. That's usually that's that's how things start, right? You you got some kind of idea what you want to accomplish, and then you you go to work on that, and eventually you get breach, and everybody dies. Well. <laughs> so what I want to say is what I enjoy the most about the current state of legacy compared to when it was my favorite from a pure gameplay perspective is how much tighter knit the community is these days. And that goes somewhat back to what Francis said about like people working more on specific decks. Like back then we didn't have like a miracles chat or well I guess Diver chat doesn't really work that much on Diver anymore, but you you know what I mean, right? We we have like people who dedicate themselves to working on a single deck, making it good, like having even having like all of these podcasts and and streams, like all of that was like only now slowly starting up. I remember I listened to a podcast that was called The Magic Suck. And I don't even know why it was called that, but it was like basically the only podcast I could find on the internet. And I listened to like, I don't know, 50 episodes of a guy talking about like the purest of, of casual magic possible. And, and I just listened to it because there really wasn't much game in town. And I really enjoy how much that has changed. And that's just like a really big thing. And Marcus, I see you mentioned in the chat that there was no SCG. It, it wasn't really as big as it is back then, as it is now, right? I do remember back then, even in 2009, I, I would travel to tournaments for like three hours on, on Saturdays and then travel back. And in the evening, I would I would watch SCG. And I think it was streamed by Chi-Chi's Live or something with like Richard Miller or something. Yeah, it was Chi-Chi Live. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are great. The, the Legacy Sundays as well, I, I would actually just not go to... I would leave parties early on Saturdays so I can like, be up oh. to watch... Uh, well, <laughs> I love the dedication. ...to watch the Legacy Sundays. Like, yeah. it, it was something to be excited about every week. Like, you know, you have your Sunday plan to watch SCG Legacy every single Sunday. It was wonderful. I still go back and watch some of the replays sometimes. Yeah. It was so nice. Yeah, that, that and as nice as it was, as it was that's really... Basically, the only thing we had, whereas now, you know, we, we go, we watch, I don't know, Arkane, we watch Anorak, we, we watch, well, if it's around, we can also watch the Legacy Premier League. There's just so many things these days, and that's probably one of the biggest things I really, really like about the current state of the community. And that's, yeah, I, I love that, and I wouldn't try that for anything. I love it, too. Like, Twitch is amazing for, for all of this. Like, as we mentioned earlier, Mark and uh, Jan were some of the first, like, streamers. There was also another guy from uh, Holland... Yeah, Matthias. Matthias. Oh, Matthias. Yeah, yeah, Matthias. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they Matthias were some of the Fiat. first, really. And then it's kind of it's gotten better. And now there's, there's so many legacy streamers. And it's it's amazing. Like, I couldn't go on to Twitch, and there's what, three or four of them at once. And they're all amazing. So, yeah, I completely agree. I love the community. I want to just give a shout-out to Delver Chat because <laughs> they've got a bit of a bad rep, but they're a, they're a great crew. It's a lot of nonsense. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking of the community, uh, we are also getting a lot of support from the community, be it through support on Twitter. Uh, well, not. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I got to reword that. Speaking of the community, we actually also get a lot of support from the community, be it through Patreon support, be it through reviews that you guys have written on iTunes. Like, I really love that a lot of you guys actually have taken to iTunes to write reviews while I was basically busy uh, while selling Kenya. Uh, so that's a great thing. Also, people like... When I go to tournaments, they come to me, they're like, oh my God, this podcast that you're doing, that's just so amazing. We give them out stickers and everything. So thanks a lot for that. Thanks for being patient for this episode. And if you want to support us, there's 
like I mentioned, so many ways you can support us on Patreon, for example. So you head to patreon.com slash everydayeternal and become a new Patreon, just like Sophie Yano. Janov. I'm so sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but I do know that you draw amazing comics. So if you want to see comics by Sophie, check that out. I'm going to link that in the show notes. And yeah, that, that's one way. Uh, something that really helps us out a lot is also if you write reviews on iTunes. Uh, I didn't really believe this when like I listened to other podcasts, but I notice it. And when people write reviews, we actually do get more listeners over time. So that's, that's just an amazing way to discover the podcast. And other than that, really just spread the word. Follow us at EternalMTG, which is our podcast. Uh, you can also join our Discord if you support us on Patreon. And yeah, also shoutouts, by the way, to, to our um, colleagues at Eternal Glory. They just relaunched their podcast with uh, Brian as the original host, but also Phil and Brian Cover. So check them out. They have a new episode on Breach as well. <laughs> that I mentioned it's Breach. I, I listened to it today, and they're, they're great. They're really good chemistry. Yeah. Loved it. Was this how how you got all that insight into the speed plays that you can make with Breach? I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, I didn't actually play on Sunday at all. I just um, I'm pretending. <laughs> You're actually <laughs> pretending to be a guy called Whitefaces on yeah. MTGO, and since nobody has ever claimed to be him, you, you just get away with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I was actually double queuing, so I played myself <laughs> in the finals. Humble brag. <laughs> Imagine if somebody oh, you chose actually me to win. <laughs> So yeah, um, I want to also give shoutouts to our um, highest tier Patreons on the Eternal Witness tier, who, which is Matt Nams, Valerio, James Slack, and of course on our Grizzlebrand tier, Bajubat, Scott Monroe, Kurush, Alistair, and Jeremy Gates. Thank you so much. You guys really, really play a big role in allowing us to produce this. And also, thanks a lot to you, Marcus, Francis, Kadem, for coming on the show tonight. Where can people find you online? Not offline. Actually, offline as well, if you want to share that. But where can people find you online? You can find me offline at the local pub. I like going to drink beer. Of course. And uh, yeah, no, but online, um, I think it's at White Faces MTG on Twitch, uh, Twitter, Twitch things. Yeah, I'm mostly there. I'm, I don't really do very much work at work, so I'm usually online on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. Yeah, White Faces MTG, that's the one. Hashtag not sponsored by your actual work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And you can find me at truckies123 at Twitter, and uh, my moto handle is I would like to respond. And I will respond if you text me. <laughs> that sounds pretty and, desperate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, please send, well, send a Twitter message yeah. to truckies123. <laughs> That's going to be the best, like, uh, OkCupid okay or whatever dating apps there are. <laughs> I would like to respond. <laughs> oh, Hi, my name is Marcus, and if you send me a message, I will respond. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, yeah. yeah you can find me on twitter at francis cooper uh c-o-w-p-e-r and uh yeah i'm fgc on mtgo but i probably will respond even though i'm not sure if i'd like to there we are. spoken like a true tory that is some real shade there i don't know if i deserve that <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know if you're actually are, are an heir to the house of lords i just made that up and and we decided to run with it He's the queen, yeah. actually. He's the queen? Oh my god, I always thought. Yeah. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that. He's, he's double queuing as the queen. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> I think we should make a, a new podcast where everybody like has their, their secret revelations about their life that nobody actually knew about. 
I mean, for all you guys know, I could actually be studying Tanzania instead of Kenya, and you would never know, and you feel betrayed. But yeah, <laughs> that's that's what I thought yeah, you were doing. That that's actually the uh, worst thing I could think of anyone saying. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> totally not. Yeah, I mean, something else. <laughs> I have sold Tanzania safaris, Trump but I stand so. firm in Kenyan safaris being much better and cheaper. Cool. Awesome. So thanks a lot, everyone. Uh, let us know what you thought, how you liked the episode. Uh, we're going to take it to my website. It's tunein.com. And you can also find us, of course, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And with that, we're going to sign off and have a great day, evening, night, and enjoy Breach and flashbacking Breach with Breach. Oh, my God, that's just too amazing. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>